0: Day, and thank you for standing by welcome to the Canadian apartment Properties REIT second quarter 2021 results conference call at this time all participants are in a listen-only mode after the speaker's remarks there will be a question and answer session to ask a question during the session please press star 1 on your telephone keypad if you require further assistance please press star 0 I would now like to hand the conference over to David Mills please go ahead
1: Good morning and thank you Christy. Before we begin let me remind everyone that the following discussion may include comments that constitute forward-looking statements about expected future events and the financial and operating results of Capri or actual results may differ materially from these forward-looking statements as such statements are subject to certain risks and uncertainties. Discussions concerning these risk factors and forward-looking statements and the factors and assumptions in which they are based can be found in Capri's regulatory filings, including our annual information form and md which can be obtained at cedar.com. I'll now turn things over to Mark Kenny, President and Chief Executive Officer. Thanks,
2: David. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Scott Cryer, our Chief Financial Officer, is also with me this morning. Let's get started. As shown on slide four, we generated another strong period of growth and strong performance in the second quarter. Revenues were up, driven by the contribution from our acquisitions, increased monthly rents and continued high occupancies. Stabilized NOI increased 2.9% with NFFO up 5.7% while maintaining a very strong payout ratio of 59.8%. Our growth also remains accretive to unit holders with NFFO per unit up 4.3%. Turning to slide five, we continue to generate the same strong performance and resiliency through the first six months of 2021 as we did throughout 2020. All of our key benchmarks were up over last year, including revenues, NOI, and NFFO, with NFFO per unit rising 3%. It was another period of accretive growth for our unit holders. Looking ahead, we expect the balance of the year will show rising occupancies, accelerated growth, and much improved operating performance as the pandemic eases, and we return to more normal markets and operations. From an operating perspective, our ability to generate solid performance in both good and bad times is clearly demonstrated by the results for our stabilized portfolio, as you can see on slide six. Occupancies remain strong while net average monthly rent rose again, driven by modest pandemic-affected increases on turnovers and renewals. Our track record of organic growth also continues with same property NOI a solid 2.7% while maintaining a strong NOI margin of over 65%. We believe that we're turning a corner with the successful vaccine rollout and a return to more normal markets. Our leasing and marketing programs continue to generate a track record of solid occupancies, as you can see on slide 7. After approximately 18 months operating under the Significant restrictions due to the pandemic, our occupancy has remained highly stable. We expect occupancies will steadily improve through the balance of the year as the pandemic eases. We are already seeing an increase in the interested in-person and online potential resident visits with strong and accelerating demand for our affordable, high-quality and spacious suites. It's also important to note that we experienced very few collection issues as we work with our residents to ensure that we collect our rents as efficiently as possible. Bad debt as a percentage of total revenues remains small and manageable and generally in keeping with our normal collections track record. We see bad debt levels reducing further through the rest of 2021. A key factor in our ability to generate solid results during the pandemic is the solid increase in rents on turnover that we are achieving as shown on slide eight. Clearly turnovers continue to be impacted by the ability of our residents to move or personally visit our properties. However, a 4.2% increase on turnover in the Canadian portfolio is a solid result. And we expect to return to our more traditionally higher increases on turnover once vaccine rollout is complete and the pandemic eases. Also remember that last year's first quarter was not impacted by the pandemic. It's also important to note that our churn is increasing up to 9.4% from 7.2% last year, a good sign that we will start to see more and higher mark-to-market rent increases in the quarters ahead. Renewals continue to be affected by the rent increase freezes legislated in Ontario and British Columbia. Over the last few months, we have slowly been implementing modest rent increases in certain other markets where possible in consultation with our residents. Looking ahead to next year, Ontario's 2022 rent guideline increase of 1.2% is good to see after no increases this year. Importantly, we will be implementing this increase in Ontario effective January 1, capturing a full year of increased income. We hope to employ the same strategy in British Columbia once we learn the guidance guideline increase. As slide 9 shows, we believe that we're starting to see a recovery in our rental rates on turnover and look to be getting back to much higher levels of increases we generated through 2019 and the first quarter of 2020 prior to when the pandemic set in. As I said before, we are confident the balance of this year We'll see a return to more normal market fundamentals. We are already experiencing more in-person and online visits by interested residents and expect our increasing occupancy will contribute to our ability to generate stronger market-to-market rent increases. We believe the worst of the pandemic is now behind us and we will see recovery in our business going forward. As slide 10 shows, we continue to increase the size and scale in our property portfolio in both Canada and the Netherlands. In 2020, we added 3,262 suites and sites for $820 million. So far this year, we've acquired 1,864 suites and sites in Canada for $377 million and another 137 suites in the Netherlands for $73 million. We're also pleased to have completed the buyout of another of our remaining GTA operating leases earlier than scheduled, resulting in a 19% discount to the agreed price in the buyout. As of the end of Q2, we only have two operating leases remaining. Throughout most of last year and into 2021, our ability to invest in our properties was significantly curtailed by the pandemic and our focus on conserving cash. Now, with the end of the pandemic in sight, we are ramping up our efforts to further enhance the value and income-producing potential of our property portfolio. As you can see on slide 11, investments in suite and common area improvements have increased this year, ensuring that our properties remain the most attractive in our markets and providing residents with safe and comfortable homes. Our investments in energy-saving initiatives Are reducing costs and helping us to improve our environmental footprint a key goal of our esg programs and all of these key investments serve to increase noi more quickly compared to other investment categories hopefully the last time we are including slide 12 in this morning's presentation outlining the many successful initiatives that we've introduced to mitigate the impacts of the pandemic As we've discussed over the last five quarters, we began early in 2020 to implement programs aimed at getting closer to our residents, communicating with them, understanding the issues facing them, and helping them stay in their homes, while at the same time collecting as much rent as possible. We believe these initiatives have provided effective and have had a positive impact on our cash flows with strong and stable rent collection. We were very pleased to see leasing activity pick up in the second quarter with a total of 4,200 leases arranged up significantly from 2,400 in Q1. As the vaccine rollout continues we expect to see our visits to our properties to accelerate even further in the months ahead. I'll now turn things
3: over to Scott. Thanks Mark. Turning to slide 14 you can see that we maintain our strong financial position at quarter end with a conservative debt to growth, book value and continuing high liquidity. Our over $1.5 billion in Canadian unencumbered properties provide additional liquidity should it be needed. In addition, we have $250 million available through our credit facility and $120 million in cash at quarter end. In total, if we were to access all these sources of capital, we would have available liquidity of over $1.8 billion. And even if we did this, our leverage ratio would still remain a very conservative 42%. Looking at our financing through the first six months of the year, we locked in a very low interest rate of 2.4% on our refinancing and top ups and extended our term to maturity we expect we'll continue to benefit from the current low interest rate environment for some time. At quarter end, over 99% of our mortgages incurred a fixed interest rate. In June, we renegotiated and closed on our um, new credit facility, which will now have a term of three years and a decreased cost of 30 basis points over the previous margin. This also provides for more flexibility over our unencumbered asset pool and a better security package for Capri. We were also pleased to see another significant increase in the fair value of our Canadian property portfolio, increasing $513 million so far this year, following a $750 million increase at the end of 2020. This is excluding the impact of net acquisitions our operating lease bios and foreign exchange. As you can see on slide 15, we continue to capitalize on the current low interest rate environment, reducing interest costs in Canada and extending the term to maturity. The ability to capture strong spreads and low interest costs in the Netherlands is also contributing to our lower overall interest costs and extending the term. Of recent interest, we actually just closed or committed to a conventional-based mortgage where pricing is becoming extremely competitive. So, this creates an alternative to the CMHC financing program. Definitely something uh, that's a positive backdrop for the REIT. Further to our strong and flexible financial position, looking back over the last few years, you can see on slide 16 that we've met our goal of maintaining very conservative debt and coverage shields even through the pandemic. This conservative approach underpins the stability and resiliency of our business and the sustainability of our monthly cash distributions to unit holders. This focus on maintaining one of the strongest balance sheets in our business will continue going forward. Our mortgage portfolio remains well-balanced, as shown on slide 17. As you can see, in any given year, no more than 13% of the total mortgages come due, thereby reducing risk in a rising interest rate environment. Looking ahead, our current ability to top up renewing mortgages through 2035 will provide further significant liquidity. You can also see that we have considerable opportunity to reduce our long-term interest costs in today's attractive interest rate environment with the current five-year and 10-year estimated rates of approximately 1.7% and 2.2%, respectively, are well below expiring mortgage rates of between 28 and 3.3% over the next three or four years. I'll now turn things back to Mark to wrap up.
2: Thanks, Scott. Looking ahead, we see a number of very positive value drivers that we are confident will generate strong and growing returns for our unit holders over both the short and long term turning to slide 19 we see the three key drivers of unit holder value in the months and years ahead creative portfolio growth will continue based on our proven and successful asset allocation strategies we are experiencing a strong pipeline of accretive acquisition opportunities and expect to see solid growth in the quarters ahead importantly the current low interest rate environment provides significant opportunities to acquire properties with strong cap rate spreads and to reduce interest costs under refinancing initiatives our industry-leading balance sheet leverage and liquidity also position us for growth going forward we believe that we will also benefit from a number of market trends as the pandemic eases in the months ahead including increased immigration a return to office and in-person learning and the increased affordability alternative of our high quality rental portfolio compared to the significantly higher costs of home ownership. In addition, our ongoing investments in our properties and our operating platform are enhancing the attractiveness of our portfolio, improving efficiency, driving revenue gains and reducing costs. Let's have a quick look at each of these value drivers. We will continue to focus on our proven asset allocation strategy to accretively grow our portfolio as detailed on slide 20. We primarily target value-add apartment properties in the mid-tier segment in very well-located suburban markets in and around Canada's three largest cities, Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal. We are acquiring these properties at well under 50% of replacement cost and have proven our ability to invest in them to increase value. Cash flows remain strong and highly stable due to their very affordable rental rates. Our second focus is the Canadian MHC sector. Revenues are highly stable and with residents owning their own homes, capital requirements and maintenance needs are significantly reduced. With homeownerships costs rising across the country, manufactured housing provides a real alternative as prices have not appreciated to the same extent. Our third focus is on Europe. Dividends from our ownership interests are strong and stable, while fee income for our asset and property management services continue to grow. As one of the only professionally managed operating platforms in Europe, the opportunity for enhanced value are significant. We are also capitalizing on very low European debt to finance our growth at attractive returns. Key to our growth in the coming months will be our ability to capitalize on a number of market trends as we return to pre-pandemic conditions. Demand for our quality properties will grow as immigration accelerates with new Canadians seeking affordable homes in our largest urban markets. The return of international students will also contribute to increased demand. The pandemic generated what we call household consolidation as students and young people return home to save costs and be in the safety of their family. We see these young people returning to rental accommodation as offices reopen, in-class learning returns and the fear of the pandemic eases. Demographics are also on our side, as the growing seniors population looks to the rental market to meet their needs. Canadians over 65 are forecast to account for over 23% of the Canadian population by 2030. We believe our quality and well-located properties offering more space on one floor at affordable rates will see increased demand by seniors looking to capitalize on the significant equity they have generated in their homes. We also see families looking to quality rental accommodation as a highly affordable alternative to the increasing costs of homeownership. Additionally, cash flows will increase as we prudently and responsibly increase rents where possible. Finally, our ongoing property investments, as outlined on slide 22, are reducing costs through energy savings and other initiatives, enhancing resident safety and making our properties more attractive to meet demand from potential residents. Our technology solutions are increasing our operating efficiency and helping us meet our ESG commitment to enhanced environmental performance. All of these investments are generating strong increases in our net asset value. As Scott mentioned, we recorded a $596 million gain in the fair value of our portfolio in 2020, with another $357 million through the first six months of this year. With increasing demand and little new supply of rental properties, we believe the value of our asset base will only grow going forward and provide another strong driver for unit holder value over the long term. In summary, remain very excited about our future our focus on the mid-tier sector meets increased demand for affordable high quality homes our predominantly suburban locations outside downtown cores and our larger size suites townhomes and manufactured homes are meeting the needs for renters seeking more space we are experiencing a strong pipeline of accretive acquisition opportunities and expect to see solid performance portfolio growth in the quarters ahead. The continuing low interest rate environment provides significant opportunities to acquire properties with strong cap rate spreads to reduce interest costs on our refinancing initiatives. Our industry-leading balance sheet, leverage, and liquidity position us for growth going forward. And with demographic trends and increasing immigration, We are confident we will continue to drive value for our unit holders in the years ahead. In closing, I want to once again thank everyone at Capri for their hard work and dedication over the last 18 months and also to our residents for their patience during these challenging times. Looking ahead, we are confident we will return to more normal market conditions and resume our 25 year track record of growth strong operating performance, and delivering enhanced value to our unit holders. Thank you for your time this morning, and we would now be pleased to take any questions that you may have.
0: Thank you. The floor is now open for questions. As a reminder, to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. And your first question is from Jonathan Kelcher of TD Securities.
1: thanks uh, good morning morning John um, per, first question just on the, the recovery it sounds like you, you guys are are seeing at least the beginnings of it what what markets would be strongest or further ahead and what markets are uh, would still be lagging
2: we've seen uh, you know faster than expected recovery. Um, in the suburban markets, and also the sub-markets in general, places like um, Ottawa, Victoria are doing exceptionally well. Um, the, the markets that are recovering but are lagging are, are I'd say, core Toronto, core Montreal. And I guess I would attribute that to, to a couple of things. That's where the pandemic was, was felt the hardest, and also the return of international students. Um, we've seen recovery in the in the universities that have domestic students, places like Alberta and Nova Scotia, um, but where we've seen reliance on international students, it's just lagging. We would expect to see that recovery um, really kick in uh, in the months ahead. Okay. Um, that, that's helpful. And, and then I guess
1: um, next, just just switching gears a little bit on me, um, strike the acquisition market sounds like you guys are going to be active in, in the back half of the year. Do you guys look to, to fund any of that with, uh, with dispositions?
2: Yeah, I think that there is, um, definitely vigor at Capri to look at the, um, the assets that we own and we're open to recycling capital. Um, there are certain markets where cap rates are are um, have compressed significantly, and uh, you know it's our quest always create equity for our unit holders. And if we see a, an opportunity, then we would um, we would consider uh, selling. I wouldn't call it a material strategy, but it would be something that we are uh, we are open to a cap rate now.
1: Just trim at the trims and non-core. Yeah. Um, and then and then just lastly, um, Scott, for you, you, I think you mentioned conventional mortgages competing with with CMHC. What what sort of rate and term are are we are we talking about? It? and what what type of lender is, is doing that?
3: It's it's more of like the insurance life co. Uh, uh, groups that are doing it, um, but there are some. Um, some other lenders in it we're talking really various terms like you can go short and three years and you can we've been talking about 15 and 20 as well um i'm not going to say that it's a slam dunk as far as being cheaper than cmhc but it's you know depending on how you look at those cmhc fees over the term of the mortgage it's it's highly competitive um and it's nice to know that that there's that backdrop so you know we'll we'll dip our toe into that into that area there's some advantages to it especially on assets that um, we think have good upside um, you know assets that are value-add that we may not want to kind uh, of check on the CMHC fees in the first uh, three to five years we might we might focus on those assets to put conventional mortgages on okay uh, so the, is, uh, the rates the all-in rates are the, the the face rate is higher but when you consider the fees itself they, they kind of economically are, are becoming pretty uh, pretty flat in some cases, you know, lower and in some cases slightly higher.
1: Okay. That is helpful. Thanks guys. I'll, uh, I'll turn it back.
0: Thank you. Your next question is from Matt Logan of RBC Capital Markets.
2: Thank you. And good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Perhaps just following up on, uh, Jonathan's question. Can you talk
1: about your leasing traffic and how your rent increases <laughs> are trending so far in July and August? and maybe what your outlook is for the balance of the year.
2: Yeah, I would say that uh, <laughs> and you talked to us in the first quarter, which I know you did, we were predicting third quarter recovery. Um, it started a little sooner than expected, especially in those sub-markets. But uh, as expected, um, things are things are picking up. So I wouldn't have much of a change in tone for the fourth quarter. Um, We're definitely seeing uh, things picking up with, like I said to Jonathan, the core Toronto, core Montreal slightly lagging. Okay. And maybe just changing gears, a question for Scott. You recorded 13 basis points of cap rate compression in Q2. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us if this fully reflects what you're seeing in terms of real-time transactions and if there's potential for some further compression in the back half of the
3: year? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we are conservative in our approach, obviously, um, at cap rate. And we like, we have as many data points as possible. We really rely on our acquisitions team as well as third-party um, external evaluators um, and, our, and our internal evaluators. So we have a lot of data points. Um, I would say we're on the conservative side, uh, so there could be some additional cap rate compression. Um, I think, you know, based on transactions today, it'll be interesting to see as interest or as income, you know, stabilized income increases, whether that'll flatten out cap rates or not. But uh, we would expect, um, you know, the income side to actually be more of a contributing factor moving forward. You can see this quarter and last income really, was was flat from a fair value point of view, so it was purely cap rate compression. So I think that dynamic will change kind of moving forward as well. But yes, we still see some upside in in the portfolio.
1: And if we think about your investment in IRAs, given the management changes, can you talk about what your plans are for that going forward?
2: We're we're very focused on helping IRAs with their internalization efforts at this point, we want that team to be successful. We obviously have a significant investment in iRes um, that we want to see um, well managed. Our, our focus going forward would be, um, as we stated, our eRes platform. And uh, that eRes platform, I think, has a tremendous opportunity in front of it. And um, maybe the last one for me, just in terms of your dispositions, um, would those be more one-off in nature, or are there markets where you think cap rate compression is perhaps so based fundamentals? Yeah, I would I would say the one-off in nature. Like the the obvious thing to look at is uh, future performance. When in the value add performance portfolio, we look at capital. Um, investment requirement and what we think expected returns are but there are some examples of I'll call it balance sheet cleanup where you know we've got operating leases ground leases um, other structures that that um, are different that we would be open to cleaning up the other thing is um, just opportunistic so you know we talked about some development opportunities of our smaller buildings in Toronto where without even entitlement, we're getting development premium on, on potential sale. And if we can recognize cap rates that are less than two, we would on a one-off basis consider disposition. But I would not call this a wholesale strategy at Capri. It's just an openness to capital recycling. We are the biggest um, in the country and um, we're open to, to opportunity. But I wouldn't call it core strategy. I would just say it would be one-off opportunistic. Well, I appreciate the color. Uh, thanks, Scott.
1: Mark, uh, I'll turn the call back. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Your next question is from Joanne Chin of BMO Capital Markets. Hi, hey, good morning.
3: Morning. I'm um, morning.
0: just sticking
4: to the acquisition side of things. You know, given how competitive uh, the market is right now, because there's often the pipeline, of but how should we think about the magnitude kind of similar? It um, did have a pretty active Q2. I so just wanted to get a gauge of, you know, what we should, we should be expecting on the back half of the year.
2: Yeah, great question. Like, we continue to be very, very disciplined. Like, the volume of acquisition shouldn't be confused with the rigor and conservative nature that we apply to our, our acquisitions. Like, we're... You know, we lose a significant number of the bids that we make because we have these really rigorous hurdles for accretion. Our focus will always be on growing the equity value in cap rate um, and and doing accretive acquisitions where we don't use leverage to make it happen. Like we model cap rate uh, debt levels when we look at our acquisitions and we look at in place income, and we're very conservative with with the growth expectations. So. All that being said um because we've got wide coverage on the country we've been able to do between 500 million and a billion a year um in the last couple mm-hmm. of years i don't see much change to that but when you're bidding on a such a conservative way it's hard to to predict your success rate but we've seen our our deal success rate be about 10 10 or more of the deals that we actually are uh, bidding on Thank you for that.
4: Um, and I guess, you know, for the back half of the year, we sh- how should we think about occupant, the occupancy trend? I mean, it you know, always been nice to see, and you mentioned that the leasing momentum has continued um, post-quarter end. I'm um, yeah. just wondering if you could provide some color on the occupancy side of things.
2: Well, when the, when the pandemic, Capri's got a legacy of maintaining very high occupancy levels. You know that. Um, but at the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't know how long the pandemic was going to last. So we, we, we paid very close attention to occupancy. And so now we find ourselves balancing um, occupancy with mark-to-market rents and the use of incentives. And and it's really managing those three lines that matter the most, while at the same time holding out for high-quality applicants. So. Um, I would say that you could expect improvements in in uh, both incentive use, occupancy, and mark-to-market rents. We're managing all three lines simultaneously.
3: And a saying that we always use in investor relations, meaning is there was a housing crisis in Canada before the pandemic, and we would expect similar dynamics
5: to, to exist after. So, um, just a Touch up on that. Okay.
4: Um, and one last meeting on switching gears uh, on the financing side of things. Obviously, you guys have a very strong balance sheet and you, know, you guys have the scale. I'm just wondering long-term, would there ever be a scenario where you guys could look to perhaps access the insecure market or do you think the pricing differential versus you know what you can get with CMHC just doesn't make sense?
3: Yeah, we. I would say we look at that every couple of years um you know I, I don't we've talked about ratings we've talked about that you know how we would structure i think we've actually put ourselves in a position from our current facility and our unencumbered assets pool et cetera, to do that if we ever saw that market really open up but um today again it's still we just have a ton of of um runway with cmhc and those rates and then with conventional is actually becoming highly competitive i would say it's unlikely we go into the unsecured at this point but uh but we are planning, you know, our balance sheet just to to always have those options available. So that that was a big improvement with our credit facility, and uh, and how we structured this year. I would I would just add to that that I think lenders, especially the life codes,
2: have really created a, you know, an unsecured kind of market in their lending practices. They see multifamily incredibly stable. The pandemic has further emphasized how how a what a highly desirable asset class is that we have so we're just not reliant on it. And and as Scott has said, this this clear movement in the um, conventional market is testimony to to the quality of the income. Lenders see it. And and so we're very uniquely served by the fact that we, we don't need that market because the asset class is so incredibly strong. Right. Okay. And
4: that's hopeful. Uh, That's it for me. I will turn it back. Thanks, guys.
0: Thanks. Thank you. Once again, if you would like to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. And your next question is from Brad Sturgis of Raymond James.
1: Hi. Good morning. Good morning, morning, Brad. Just just to go back on your your discussion about... uh, you know, the different leasing strategies, I guess it's fair to say within core locations, you're still using a little bit of incentive and trying to maintain occupancy Well, in suburban or sub-markets, you know, you can probably be a little bit more aggressive on rate at this stage.
2: Yeah, exactly. Correct. Like we're, with the pandemic, we've been trying to make markets where markets didn't exist. Like if you have a, a university student-focused buildings and the universities are closed, you're trying to make a market. Um, which is very difficult during a pandemic. <laughs> so we're seeing that that ease off. Um, you know, it's it's. I've said to people, just talk to your neighbors and your friends and look at your own family. And the kids that are under 30 are are now starting to leave home. And it just it's a, really just a temperature gauge on the area that they're going to. Like, is it safe? So when case counts are low. We've seen traffic activity pick up in that under thirty market when case counts um, go up. We see traffic slow down in that under thirty market. So it's it's the primary driver is kids at home that are coming back, and the and the secondary driver are the foreign students. And and you put those two things together, and you got a
1: hot rental market before immigration. For the back half of the year, do you still see turnover or your churn to to be elevated? We do. We do. I think what we've said um, to investors
2: directly is that the pandemic creates, you know, economic life circumstance change, good or bad. And uh, when you have a bit of a dislocated economy, which we do right now, you you get more turnover. And life circumstances change. You know, decisions have been delayed in terms of moving. People don't generally make moving decisions during a pandemic. That's been part of our challenge, but I do see uh, escalated um, turnover, as
1: uh, predicted,
2: uh, for the balance of 2021 and into 2022.
1: Uh, last question for just on the acquisition front: you, you know, obviously you have a, a rigorous process on 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 uh, completing deals. Do you actually see where you can get deals across the line still more in kind of the secondary markets like Victoria or? You know could there be some opportunities in some of the suburban big city markets? Um, we've
2: certainly been bidding on those suburban big city markets. Um, like I said, our success rate's pretty low, but our end result is pretty impressive. Uh, it's hard to say, Brad. like we, we like I said, we model what we model. We see value where we see it, and sometimes others will pay up more. But I, I think you'll see a, a, a bit of a mix. It won't be like a trend where cap has moved its focus into a particular region. It's that we're covering the whole country, and where we're being successful are in the markets that we um, we see great growth potential in that um, that others haven't focused on. Great. great. I'll turn it back. Thanks,
1: Rob. Thanks, Brad.
0: Thank you. Your next question is from Matt Cornick of National Bank Financial.
1: Good morning, guys. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry to take you back to uh, mortgage debt <laughs> question, but <laughs> quickly on- Never apologize for talking to finance. <laughs> I know, Scott. This is your, your time to <laughs> shine. Um, on, on for financing costs to begin with, amortization of CMHC premiums and fees. I think you noted that, that that's yes. that's something, but it was pretty substantial. The increase uh, is there anything one time in that, and do you make any FFO adjustments for
3: it if it was one time? No, we, we don't right now. Oh, sorry, we don't. don't. We did um, when we adjusted our policy around writing off fees when we refinance. So, um, last year. You know, there was a significant amount of write-off because we completed $1.4 billion in mortgages, um, and we actually had some more material prepayment costs last year. Um, this quarter, again, um, and actually going into next quarter, um, again, we have a huge refinancing program. Uh, we're looking at total mortgages, including acquisitions this year, of $1.3 billion. So we're almost back to last year's unprecedented uh, Amount of financing, so those write-offs are, are definitely more significant um, in Q2, Q3. Uh, it, it would be the expectation, but, you know, normalized should decrease over time. Um, and then, as well, we're moving to 35-year AM uh, mortgages. You know, all last year and this year, we'll be doing 35-year AM, so that, so that amortization of those premiums so will we'll decrease a little bit over time.
1: Okay, so would you say, I mean, it was, what, $3.6 million for the quarter, but it looks like it's been kind of around a million historically, so it, should we say that that delta is mostly related to the refinancing activity? I, I would absolutely say that, yeah. Okay, fair enough. And then maybe more on strategy, and, and again, back to the conventional mortgage uh, question. Um, do those guys look at you as CapReit as being an attractive entity to to lend to? So I mean, there's a covenant and counterparty issue there. I'm, I'm just wondering, because obviously some of the private guys uh, got squeezed on CMHC and the ability to finance. But but would a life co lend to a smaller private owner, or is it just because CapReit's such a good credit that they're interested in providing this finance? No,
3: that's a that's a great question, I and mean, that's kind of something we've talked about with them it's it is it is definitely asset first um, mentality. Um, you know they're gonna they're gonna provide financing at cheaper rates to you know uh, the better asset assets in our portfolio. so that is the covenant will help on the margin, but it's not the driver. so I mean, we still think um, it does help and that will be a slight competitive advantage, but it's actually probably good for the private markets as well, which, we're okay with that. Just means you know, cap rates continue to be competitive, um, and our portfolio maintains its value. Um, so, so yeah, it's asset first, but the covenant helps on the, on the margin for sure. Okay. I, 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 would just,
2: I would I would add to that that what we're seeing is the life are truly investing in apartment buildings, like Scott said, city center they like the best and and location driven, but also the fact that we're such a low leverage borrower. Um, we think will have even more interesting attribute um, for them. So, you know, we've traditionally managed our book, obviously, through refinancings and acquisitions, but where we can offer opportunities of low leverage, there may be even better um, opportunity in those uh, major market assets. So, look, at this is not a major strategic move for Capri. This is just great news coming out of the conventional market you know, I, I don't see an opportunity for us to significantly change the balance of our financing program out of CMHC. It's a very, very important program to us, but it's just good to see, as Scott said, an alternative out there that's
1: attractive. Sure. no, that absolutely makes sense. And the fact that I'm asking about it speaks to the fact that your portfolio is pretty stable. <laughs> so take care, guys. Yep. Have a good summer.
5: Great, great. Right. Thanks. You too. Thanks.
0: Thank you. Your next question is from Mario Sarek of Scotia Capital.
5: Hi, good morning. I wanted to come back to the relationship between occupancy and incentives. And I think, Mark, on a past call, you mentioned that didn't matter what the incentive was during the, the depths of the pandemic, uh, it was largely relevant. It wouldn't impact uh, tenant behavior. Uh, how, how would you say or how sensitive are the prospective tenants in some of the less robust markets that you referred to today to uh, to incentives? Like how, how important are incentives to uh, the closure rates today?
2: <laughs> Good question. I don't know that we know the answer. The reality is when there's low traffic, you're just trying to take the limited traffic that's in, in a market to your asset. Um, so I don't even think it's tenant behavior a um, resident applicant behavior. I think it's just trying to get attention of those very few shoppers that are out there, where you're trying to make a market. And I keep the easy example is are these you know universities that are relying on foreign students, and if those buildings have historically targeted that market, it's hard to make a new market. So um, I would I would answer it by just saying it's it's all. Like I said in the beginning, we're managing all three lines incentives, occupancy, and mark to market rents. And it's all being derived out of market traffic and conversion rate. So where we see traffic and conversion rate, we we make adjustments. But it is it is coming off. Um, and Capri has this legacy, we don't like incentives. The the goal and the expectation is that we would be out of the incentive game completely, uh, is my hope, by the beginning of 2022, I'd be shocked if we weren't, Um, and get back to just market-market rent and occupancy management.
5: Um, This may be a difficult question to answer, but just as a follow-on, your occupancy this quarter was 97.4%. How much occupancy do you think you've saved on the provision of incentives during the pandemic?
2: well scott did some interesting math and i think uh scott you can correct me if i got the number yeah. wrong but our incentives equated to approximately one percent of vacancy loss yeah so if we do that and and you blend those two things together it was an incredibly prudent um investment so you know CapReet um, i believe did an exceptional job the team did an exceptional job of um, maintaining and converting traffic that was out there, and and when you shave a percentage point off, and you look back to how we did, I I, I think we did remarkably well.
5: Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds really interesting. That's a, that's a good color on that. Um, more more of a theoretical question. I think I guess coming into Europe, uh, Ireland, and uh, in the Netherlands, um, your kind of expertise in Canada was really touted in terms of setting up those structures, and, and that's gone really well. As you pointed out earlier on, uh, would you would you say there's anything that you've learned in Europe that, from an operational perspective, you can take back to Canada coming out of this pandemic uh, to improve the overall, you know, NOI growth going forward on a structural basis?
2: Well, we'd love to bring back their debt. Um, that's quite impressive, Scott. I think, Scott, what did you just do over there? Uh, was it 0.9% debt? on yeah it's under one percent yeah exactly. 1%. Um, but to answer your question Mario like what we know it's not really what we can bring back to Canada it's what we've learned um, and, and confirmed in our story. So as Capri went province to province um, through our, our growth we realized that you're just managing cultural regional differences, but the business is exactly the same. There's actually no difference in the business anywhere in the world that we've seen so far. It's really just managing those cultural and regulatory differences and, and understanding how they function. So our thesis was by going to Europe, we were just really going to another Canadian province and and that turned out to be exactly true. So being sensitive To the cultural and regulatory and market dynamic differences in different countries is really just moving outside of the of the Canadian border um, and doing the same thing. You know, a lot of people forget we we had an experiment in the U. S. where we we took on a manufactured home business for a period of time of management and we proved it there too. It's bringing the Capri systems and keep keep bringing the Capri culture and bringing the Capri management structure to these markets, we we know it works, and it works best in regulated
5: markets. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my last question, again, more of a high-level question, you've probably heard the term beds and sheds you know, thousands of times in the past 12 months in terms of very strong uh, institutional appetite or, or private market appetite for uh, multifamily residential and industrial we have seen kind of a, a big uptick in, in industrial transactions in North America take place with larger portfolios. Now there have been some on the private side in in Canada. what, what do you what do you think broadly speaking this is pertaining just to capital? like what, what do you think broadly speaking is preventing some of the larger institutions globally from uh, investing more in in Canadian multifamily residential or what do you think we're seeing it now? I think that uh, at
2: the end of the day, Everybody wants to talk about international appetite, but the reality is when you look at Canadian multifamily, uh, the market's been driven primarily by Canadian pension funds on the acquisition front. Like, those Canadian pension funds aren't um, labeling themselves. They're going through a variety of different structures. But that is the true driver of cap rate compression and interest in multifamily in Canada. Um, I think that that appetite... um, which has been primarily I guess driven by the interest rate environment has driven a lot of private investors out and and there's certainly is a wall of I'm going to say primarily Canadian capital to to um, uh, address properties coming to market but I think at the end of the day you need a Canadian platform that really understands Canadian multifamily to address Canadian um, opportunity and and again I use that word quickly their the regulation, this is a big part of it. You have to really understand uh, how to navigate in a regulated market and and if you don't have that experience or understanding, it's not just an asset class that you can move into that's easy because there's high demand. This is a month by month, as you know, Mario business where things can slip quickly if if management um, isn't there. It's high, high intensity management business. so. Without the right platform, um, I, I, I think that's going to keep foreigners uh, cautious.
5: Got it. And I guess indirectly, inherently highlights the, the value importance of, of that operating platform. Uh, you've always you've okay. always recognized that. That's <laughs> uh, that's great. Thank you for the call. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank you. We have no further questions at this time. I will turn the call back over to Mark Kinney for any additional or closing remarks.
2: As always, I'd like to thank everybody uh, for their time today. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to Scott or myself. And again, thank you for your time and have a great day.
0: Thank you. This does conclude today's conference call. You may now disconnect. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.
3: What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free.